Hello everybody and welcome to the Dragon Project podcast, a series of conversations about courage. In each episode we hear a tale of a dragon in my guest's life and how they dealt with it. This will serve as a launching off point for a discussion about fear, courage and the heroism of everyday life. And today I introduced my dear friend Alfie to the podcast, whom I met when we were both looking to be aspirant monks at Plum Village. Alfie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jack. It's good to be here. It's lovely to have you. And firstly, Alfie, could you tell our listeners a tale of a dragon that you had to face in your life at some point? Yeah, sure. So the one that just came to mind thinking about it, um, thinking about courage and when I've had to had to summon all my courage and I immediately recalled standing on the edge of this sloping cliff um, above a river in the south of France um, and I, I was traveling with my girlfriend and a few friends and we were staying with her brother and all of his friends and they were showing us this river and the hike up to the river and then it concluded well at the midpoint the turnaround point with a a cliff dive which supposedly all of them had done um but the only the only people to attempt the jump were um myself her brother um and my friend and her brother had tried to do the jump a few times, but had never been able to do it because he was too scared previous times. So he was telling me about that on the way up. And then we got to we got to the sort of a river pool with a waterfall above it. And you climbed up around the waterfall and then higher up onto the hill behind that. And then you came down the hill through the trees and the hill just kind of dropped off on a slope with a few trees sticking out over the uh, over the ledge. Um, and obviously, as it always is, it was a lot higher. <laughs> well, it, it felt a lot higher than it looked from below. And you could sort of hold on to one of the protruding trees and, and swing your head over the side and look down and see. Um, what felt like a, a coin-sized pool some few miles below. And um, and of course now all the people we had hiked up with were collected around the pool um, down below, little dots around the coin. Um, so we had a crowd and we had, uh, we had this jump before the three of us. So myself, my girlfriend's brother and my friend, my friend um, being a bit of a nutter uh, after uh, girlfriend's brother and I had sort of undenied for about 20 seconds, he politely asked us to step aside and he just hopped off the ledge, closed his eyes, sort of clutched his arms around his chest and just plummeted, eyes closed. Um, and hit the hit the coin, um, huge splash, huge tear, and then there were two, um, and 
I went next and I just remember, I remember knowing that there was no way I could do this. Like there, I, it really felt like suicide. It really felt, I was, I was jumping to my death. This was way too high. Um, I had the rational part of my mind saying, well, look, your friend has just jumped. Nothing happened. People have, all the people down below have done it. Um, so I was trying to convince myself to hop, but uh, yeah, like I, I struggle to remember exactly how I got myself to jump, um, but I know that it took. I know it took courage, even if it was sort of instantaneous courage, um, or if the courage is part of the whole build-up part of the initial decision to walk, even walk up there. Um, but I did jump and I did fall through the air um, and feel feel everything get telescoped underneath me. Unfortunately, I, I kept my arms out to try and break my fall or slow myself down, maybe like a plane. And so I hit the water like, <laughs> like Jesus and... Um, uh, belly fucked the under the underside of both arms pretty badly but um, I was so so relieved to be down down there and the other side of what seemed in, totally impossible and so scary um, so I suppose the dragon of death um, and and height <laughs> um, but yeah I felt like I'd, I'd been to a lot of high heights before and looked off and thought oh what would it feel like to to drop what would it feel like to hop and this was probably the only time in my life when I've felt like that and then actually done it um and it felt very unnatural like I had to yeah slay this this dragon of death that was you know normally is so menacing and so scary that there's no that it keeps me alive. That's such a good metaphor for, for life, <laughs> jumping off into the unknown. And um, more generally, what does the value of courage mean to you? Um, well, I've been thinking about it uh, differently recently. Well, I heard this um, interview, I heard Christopher Hitchens interviewed about George Orwell. Um, and he was saying that the what George Orwell considered his great ability as a journalist and a writer was his power to face. He called it his power to face or the power to face things unpleasant, uncomfortable, anything really. Um, and I really like that. And I think that's kind of, I, that's uh, my aspiration of courage. Um, I think is taking that form now in my mind of like, what, um, what do I not want to face or, uh, or needs facing? that will require the power to face um, 
because I think, yeah, I think we have, I mean, you know, I was, I was amazed. I, I jumped, I was amazed. Then my girlfriend went up and jumped right after, which I was very amazed by that too. And her brother did it having not done it um, the previous few times. He'd, he'd gone up and then had to walk down. Um, so I think when people are facing, there's huge amounts of courage available. Um, I think the maybe the hardest aspect of courage is the decision to face the thing that you need the courage for, which I think is probably part of the courage. Um, part of that whole process of being courageous um, to turn and realize, oh yeah, there's an enormous dragon just in my left peripheral vision and I need to look at it. So does that answer the question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, how, does, how does courage relate to the spiritual path for you? Um. Well, I've also been thinking about, about the word trust quite a lot recently, in probably more in relation to the spiritual path. Um, but I think trust and courage, courage is kind of trusting oneself. Um, and I guess in a, in a Zen sense, trusting oneself is to trust everything Talking about Zen, I think there's a, there can be a common misconception about Zen that it's very passive and um, it's just about kind of um, reaching enlightenment. But um, Zen is a Mahayana school of Buddhism and they have the um, four Bodhisattva vows. Um, and if you don't know, in Buddhism, the Bodhisattva is this idea of a being who is enlightened, but decides to remain in the realm of samsara to help these are the four vows that you can take beings are numberless i vow to save them desires are inexhaustible i vow to end them dharma gates are boundless i vow to enter them buddha's way is unsurpassable i vow to become it and in tibetan buddhism which is also a mayahana in the mayahana tradition um chogyan trumpa talks about the bodhisattva vow and he says, um, planting such a seed as the Bodhisattva vow undermines ego and leads to a tremendous expansion of perspective. Such heroism or bigness of mind fills all of space completely, utterly, absolutely. So we can see in the, in the path of the Bodhisattva, um, the necessity for courage. Going, going to an Extinction Rebellion Writers for Climate um, demonstration, um, I was really reminded of, about this, that I think it takes enormous courage to truly face the suffering in the world. Um, and I think that that's what I've, um, for me, was one of the things about going vegan, um, was having to come to terms with the enormity of, of animal suffering. Um, and I sense that a lot of people um myself included um still um have our heads in the sand um because we don't want to truly um face the enormity of the suffering in the world um 
and I include myself in that, especially on climate change, I'm still um, unable to truly come to terms with the kind of theological scale of the potential suffering. Um, but then I also think it's this combination of what the Bodhisattva gets at is that you have this courage to face the suffering in the world, but you also have the wisdom and the practice to mm. see the emptiness. So, you, uh, so you're so you able to be at peace in the ultimate dimension, as Thich Nhat Hand calls it, while also fully comprehending the scale of suffering in the historical dimension. So you've got the ultimate dimension and the historical dimension, and you're able, the Bodhisattva is able to straddle both. Yeah, I think um, the key the key to all of this is, well, there's a few keys, um, but certainly, and just parroting here, but Sangha is, Sangha allows practice and practice allows uh, a true commitment, um, uh, a continual reminder and, and, and um, the space and opportunity to reflect on and, and, and recommit to whatever it is that you're committing to. Um, so I think I agree with you, the danger is the sand and the world is scary. So it's, it's comforting to, to ostrich our heads in there. If that's what the, is that ostriches? Yeah, I think so. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think you need a, a strong foundation. You need you need a sangha, which can just be two people, of course, but probably the more the merrier. Well, to to a certain limit. Um, mm. And I think for listeners who don't know, sangha is a word that means community, and. Um, I really like this approach to mental illness because traditional societies, um, I believe it was traditional tribal societies, they used to view um, someone who was mentally ill as a problem with their entire society. Um, and I think that that's something that we've, 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 we've lost. And there's a book by an author called James Hillman, which actually sent to Alfie um, called What's it called? It's called um, We've Had 100 Years of Psychotherapy and the World is Still Getting Worse. And so good. The point he's making in that is, is that um, we think of mental illness as if it's made up of these atomistic units of afflicting individuals individually, when what he's trying to get, the message he's trying to get across in this book is the structural nature of, of mental illness and how much uh, it's actually embedded within the society. Absolutely. Um, and this is why there's so much motivation to practice um, because, yeah, to practice with, with the insight of interviewing. Um, because, yes, it, people are not, it's not up to people by themselves to become well or to or to not be well it's 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 a it's a collective effort um and 
we all know how powerful environment is um, and how misleading that word is as well. Um, but as Alan Watts says, trees, apple, <laughs> and the earth peoples, um, that we are fruits uh, rather than rather than having an environment in which we live, um, we are we are the environment. There is only environment. Um, we, as uh, David Bohm said, we eat the earth and we become the earth. So why do we not think of ourselves as earth? Um, but just that idea that that uh, yeah, that division is is so destructive. Um, and certainly in regards to psychotherapy and viewing people as isolated um, atoms, as you said, um, is uh, is not really capturing the full picture at all um, and prevents a lot of um, alleviation of suffering. And it's it's what um an author called Johan Hari um gets that in a very good book called Stolen Focus, where he talks about the structural nature of how our attention has just been completely eroded. And um I'd never thought about interbeing before as such a important tool, um kind of a revolutionary tool really to to reevaluate our relationships and applying, for example, I realized that I'd unknowingly applied into being to government because I think there's um, such uh, there's there's such an ingrained view that I previously held, which um, which is that we rely upon the government to do everything for us, and I think mm. COVID showed this with the nature of um, government regulations and there were laws in place about who you could see and um, going out and um, rather than rather than um, kind of having some sort of um, assembly and coming coming to a collective decision about the laws it was like the government were treating the public like naughty school children um, and instead of treating COVID like adults and going okay let's let's agree some rules here this is what we're going to do it was instead like the government went, okay, yep, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. And the public, if you're going to be treated like a child, will respond like a child accordingly. Um, and I think um, if you apply the lens of interbeing to the government, you actually find that the government ceases to exist, that the government is mm. made up of, 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 of people, first and foremost, and the government's made up of all these different departments. You could say that the government are... Um, made up of um, teachers and nurses and um, doctors and uh, and all sorts of people and and make up just such the government are society and I think that's um, you come to that insight through the lens of interbeing and when you recognise that the government are society then suddenly it's no longer up to the government to solve our problems it's up to us because we are the government. And I think that's the really empowering thing that into being and what what really 
into being is what Timothy Morton, an eco-philosopher, called hyperobjects. It's the recognition that small change can have massive influence. And um, because because we we really just can't imagine the scale at which everything inter inter is with with each other. Yeah, humanity is one person deep, right? Again, it's it's easy, it's easier to push our problems into these. Um, large fabrications like quote government um and we can just continue to push our problems into these big jelly um jellyfish things you know that just absorb the problems it can be government climate change you know there's many many options um uh and all it does is gives us a container um, to put our worries and our concerns um, so that we can get back to watching Netflix. Um, but yeah, it's pretty clear when, when we, you know, exactly noticing that it's just people. Um, they all visit the toilet. <laughs> even, uh, even the really, really, really special ones. Um, and yeah, because we too visit the toilet. Anything's possible. And it's that quote that I love from Thich Nhat Hand that peace in oneself is peace for the world. Um, mm. And I think this is what he's getting at with the insight of into being that the really the the that our entire experiences we live in our own individual universe and that is what the first and foremost what we can control our own internal environment um, and if of course of course our, our our environment is affected by other people's environments but there is this basic subjectivity to um, the human experience that. Um, if we can attain that 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 peace, then we can radiate that out. And we don't know; we have no idea of the potential how 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 big that the the effect of that is. Right, absolutely, and and um, yeah, the I like his definition of heaven too. Right, that heaven is. Heaven is how is being in a place with uh, a real place with suffering, but having the ability to understand that suffering and transform that suffering. Um, that we don't actually, you know, like if all the climate change was cleaned up um, and all the government was cleaned up, and um, you know, if we if we fixed all of our problems. Um, we wouldn't be in nirvana. Nirvana is is here and now. Um, it's it's exactly being peace um, that that everything we want to do and and fix is is available right now. It's it's um, uh, yeah exactly like what world do we want to get to? This is our world. This is 
this right here right now is the only reality and so and the only uh, available moment in which to interact and to do something about you know these these big jellyfish um so yes I, I feel very inspired and motivated by that to, to live um to live that nirvana um to to arrive to continually arrive in the world that i want to live in um and yeah exactly um that's the promise right if you do that then, <laughs> then it's all going to be fine um nah, but sky is the limit in terms of how you practice and how exactly like i feel i feel scared and amazed and and um uh, awestruck by prayer as i was saying earlier it's like what is the limit of that practice um how can how would that affect one um how would that change one and and all um there's there's no rules to how we can be and how how we can approach our lives um uh which is extremely exciting i find um because yeah it's like there's a lot of beautiful world for the ostrich to look at um and explore um and it just needs faith um not leaps of faith but just faith uh, faith in presence faith in truth thank you so much alfie and i would like to end with a quote from Tignet Han's beautiful book The Miracle of Mindfulness um, and it's he, in, he ends the book um, in chapter 7 with um, a retelling of the short story of Tolstoy's The Story of the Emperor's Three Questions and um, this is the quote which runs over from the end of the story to um, to take their hands brief commentary on it and it goes like this remember that there was only one important time and that is now the present moment is the only time over which we have dominion the most important person is always the person you are with who is right before you so who knows if you will have dealings with any other person in the future the most important pursuit is making the person standing at your side happy for that alone is the pursuit of life Tolstoy's story is like a story out of scripture doesn't fall short of any sacred text. We talk about social service, service to the people, service to humanity, service for others who are far away, helping to bring peace to the world. But often we forget that it is the very people around us that we must live for, first of all. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on, Alfie. Thank you, Jack. And remember, you are amazing. <laughs> And thank you, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, we will see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>